In this episode of Reverse the Slavery Curse podcast, Black Americans as a collective were at the bottom of every socioeconomic measurement. There are many racial groups in the United States who have been dealt with by the ruling class unfairly and have been marginalized, even at a criminal level. Most have been compensated for the suffering and losses with resources in the form of land grants, cash payments, and special laws that were passed in their favor. This, however, has not been the case for Black Americans. But did you know that beginning in 1619 through 1965, there were 70 plus laws that were passed specifically against Black people that prevented them from living in designated areas, learning to read and write, working in certain professions, or even owning weapons for defense. While most of these laws were overturned, there has never been any effort to adequately compensate Black people for the losses that they and their ancestors incurred in the terms of wages, land ownership, loss of life, and more. It's been a common practice to blame the transatlantic slave trade and the ruling class for the woes of Black Americans. But did you know that the Holy Bible speaks about the lowly position that many Black people are experiencing today? For the answer to that question, Stay tuned for today's podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Reverse the Slavery Curse podcast. I'm your host, Paula Holland. At the crossroads of Black history, current events, and the occult, the Reverse the Slavery Curse weekly podcast explores modern issues facing Black people today. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast on Apple iTunes, Spotify, and Google. And please visit my website at www.reverseslaverycurse for more information. That's all one word, no spaces or dashes. Thank you for joining. Disobedience to the Most High God has always been the crux of the problem. For Black Americans, who are the bloodline descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Disobedience goes way back to ancient Egypt thousands of years ago and their ancestors' egregious disobedience. But something that is rarely talked about in the traditional church is that Israel is the only nation that the Most High God engaged in a covenant relationship that he himself refers to as a marriage. This covenant is first introduced in Exodus 20, and took place at the foot of Mount Sinai after God had led the children of Israel out of their first bondage in Egypt, and they were finally out of danger from being recaptured by the Egyptians. During the terms of this covenant, God provided a detailed code of conduct for his people that was rolled out in several phases, beginning with the first of this covenant called the Ten Commandments. Now, most people are familiar with the Ten Commandments, but for those who aren't, here's a paraphrase of what they say. Number one, don't have other gods before the Most High. Number two, don't make any images, idols, or likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth and bow down and worship those things. Number three, don't take the name of the Most High in vain. Number four, remember and keep the Sabbath day. Number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, don't commit murder. Number seven, don't commit adultery. Number eight, don't steal. Number nine, don't bear false witness against anyone. And number 10, 
don't covet, or in other words, don't feel entitled to what other people have earned. Don't covet your neighbor or anyone else. These 10 commandments were given directly to the Most High God's right-hand man, Moses, and to the Israelites as they stood at the foot of Mount Sinai. According to scripture, the act of God verbalizing these commandments to the children of Israel was accompanied by thunder and rumbling and lightning flashes that were so terrifying that the people begged Moses to never make them come into the presence of the Most High again. The people asked Moses to instead meet with God one-on-one and pass along to them whatever he had to say. After the people had received the Ten Commandments, they all strongly, and I want to emphasize, they strongly agreed to obey his commandments. But only a few weeks later, these same people were on their own because Moses had remained on Mount Sinai to further commune with the Most High. During this time, while Moses was away, the children of Israel became anxious. They wondered when or even if Moses would return. So they turned to Moses' brother, Aaron, and they demanded that he create for them gods to serve since they really weren't sure what had become of Moses. The brother, Aaron, instructed the people to give him their gold jewelry, which he melted down and molded and shaped into a golden calf. And then he declared to Israelites that this was the God that had delivered them from their bondage in Egypt. The Israelites danced around the golden calf. They took off their clothes and they engaged in an orgy. You could find the account of this in Exodus 32, 1 through 6. It's really important to realize here that only a few weeks had gone by since the children of Israel had had this powerful encounter with the Most High God, where they had made their declaration to obey the Ten Commandments. And the very first challenge they faced of being separated from their leader, Moses, for just a few weeks, Moses was there only 40 days on the mountain, you know, just communing with God. So 40 days is five weeks and five days. So only a few weeks had gone by and already they had broken the first two of those 10 commandments. The most high God is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere at all times. And he was well aware of what the Israelites were doing. He became so angry with the people for their engaging in idol worship that he was literally prepared to wipe them off the face of the earth. Moses begged the Most High to reconsider destroying the people, which he did. But when Moses returned with the tablets with the Ten Commandments inscribed on them, he witnessed for himself the Israelites worshiping the golden calf that Aaron had made for them and having sexual relations with one another. Moses passed judgment on the people immediately, and many of them were executed on the spot. So we fast forward several hundred years into the future During the time of King Solomon, he had just experienced a personal encounter with the Most High God, who had made a promise to King Solomon that somebody from his bloodline would perpetually be seated on the throne of Israel if King Solomon continued to obey him and serve him exclusively, just the way King Solomon's father, King David, had. The Most High even went as far to to give King Solomon his request of making him the wisest man to ever live. And he also made him the wealthiest. But not long after receiving these promises from the Most High God, King Solomon began marrying hundreds of wives and concubines who served other gods. 
It wasn't long before King Solomon's wives had enticed him into worshiping these false gods and idols. And eventually, Israel's great leader and king, King Solomon, led the rest of the nation into idol worship and other abominable practices. Unfortunately, this was not the only time that the ancestors would fall into idol worship and other forbidden practices such as human sacrifice, witchcraft, and more after being warned repeatedly to not engage in these practices. This repeated disobedience of worshiping other gods and violating the Most High's commandments is displayed from Exodus all the way through the end of the Old Testament. I've often wondered, how is it that a set-apart people who are so favored by the Most High God would choose them above all nations, would bless them with their own country, fruitful lands, supernatural protection and guidance, wealth, military prowess, and so much more, could so easily turn on him and serve other gods that drop of a hat? It wasn't as if Father God the Most High God had abandoned his chosen people in any way, leaving them with no other choice but to seek help from other gods. The children of Israel were blessed beyond measure. They were living abundantly, but they still decided to stray and imitate what their neighbors were doing. The Most High God views this type of behavior as the worst type of betrayal. Similar to a man who falls in love with a woman, marries her, and gives her everything she needs and asks for, and in return, that same woman sleeps with the next door neighbor. And just like that loving husband who was put up with philandering, cheating wife and has had enough, the Most High God finally divorced himself from Israel. There are plenty of scriptures to support this marriage covenant and divorce, including Jeremiah chapter 13, verses three through, or sorry, verses six through eight. Ezekiel chapter 16 and Hebrews 8, 8 through 10, and many, many more. So think about this. The Most High God regarded the nation of Israel like a favored wife. He even married the nation. He gave them an abundant and fruitful land, supernatural protection, health, favor, and all of the promises that are found in Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14. Those promises are pretty amazing. If you get a chance, please go to Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14 and read those promises for yourself. This makes me wonder, with all of those promises on the line, why is it that the forefathers would not stop worshiping idols? Why wouldn't they stop engaging in occult practices, including passing children to the fire and effectively committing spiritual adultery until the Most High God divorced Israel and allowed brutish nations to invade, plunder, and enslave them. The treasonous behavior could explain the brutality of the transatlantic slave trade that American and Caribbean slaves suffered under the slavery and semi-slavery of post-1865 Jim Crow laws and the unspoken racial covenants and red line districts that are alive and well today. Maybe this is why the treatment of Black Americans has been so severe. It is written in Luke 12, 48, to whom much is given, much will be required. While it's easy to blame the ruling class and other racial groups for the woes of African Americans, let's face it, there are many non-Black people who do not have clean hands where African Americans are concerned. 
But we as African-Americans need to focus on what we're responsible for. The bottom line truth is that had our ancestors obeyed the God of their fathers, the most high God, we wouldn't be in this mess in the first place. And we would all be living very different lives. What's equally sobering is that the sins of our ancestors that led to our captivity that began with the transatlantic slave trade has not stopped. While there are some who are faithful to the Most High, many still cling to practices that are against what was given to the ancestors that fly in the face of the Most High. There's a lot more to unpack on this subject that I will address in upcoming episodes. Thank you for joining me today. Please tune in next week where I will continue exploring the origin problems of African-Americans, specifically how mind control is used as a weapon against our ancestors, how mind control continues being used against African-Americans today, and what can be done to combat mind control. For more information about this podcast or topics related to the advancement of African-Americans, please visit www.reverseslaverycurse.com and sign up for my free newsletter, check out my books, and more. Until then, remember that dealing with foundational traumas, spiritual influences, and ancient oaths are key to positive changes in this modern world.